This is Movies for the Blind, episode 197, Shake, Rattle, and Rock, part two of two. All this activity and not even one corpse. Hello and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. We're back with Shake, Rattle, and Rock, and though you may not care for the lady in the film huffing about her disdain for the depravity of rock and roll, she's had to deal with more chaos than dancing teenagers. Margaret Dumont is synonymous with the Marx Brothers. In 1925, she was hired to play the wealthy dowager Mrs. Potter in the Broadway production of The Coconuts, and they never looked back. Groucho Marx called her practically the fifth Marx brother as she played straight man to him, Harpo, Chico, and Zeppo in seven classic Marx Brothers films, including Duck Soup, A Night at the Opera, and A Day at the Races. She brings her prototypical outrage to this film as Georgiana Fitzdingle, part of a group called Spray K, don't ask, bent on stamping out rock and roll and focused on a local dance party TV show hosted by DJ Gary Nelson and hipster Axe McAllister. Though Gary and Axe have helped get kids on the straight and narrow with rock and roll and have a concert going to benefit a new community center for them, Spray K will have none of it and are off to collect petitions to stop the show. They have an unlikely ally in a local gangster who used to use the kids to do his dirty work. How can rock survive? Here comes the conclusion of Shake, Rattle, and Rock. Outside. Here you are, 12 signatures, 12 complaints. I only got five. I'd have had more, but I had to carry Horace upstairs. All right, mister. I'll read the act to them. As the lead policeman gets out, Gary stands in front of another band. Now for the big finale. The guy you've all been waiting to hear, Tommy Charles. Tommy slides his palm along Gary's for a handshake, and Gary steps aside. Tommy sings. If a man I got nothing but sweet love on my mind. If you really gonna leave me, let me love you just one more time. Well, you know I love you, baby, and I need your loving bad. Better give me some sweet love. Right? The policeman enters from the back with Fentwick, Georgiana, Horace, and Hiram. Gary steps to June and Axe. Don't you think you better duck out? Might as well know where I stand. Patting her shoulder, Axe steps away. Yeah, you love me, then you leave me, and I don't know what to do. I need your little old arms around me to hold and squeeze me tight. But you just love me, then you leave me, baby, and you know it ain't right. The audience dances in couples. Sweet love on my mind. I've never well, seen anything like it. It's disgraceful. It certainly is. It's disgusting. Horace dances a little with finger snapping. What do you think you're doing? Horace. Hotcha. He keeps going. Stop it. He does. On my door. Just bring my letter to the bottom of the river because I won't be here no more. I'm a man. I got nothing but sweet love on my mind. Tommy turns to a sax player who stands for a solo. Axe sneaks behind a plant to overhear Bugsy with Nick. You go and tell the kids a pinch is coming up, but they don't want to spend the night in a can of blow right now. Go on. Nick leaves. And Axe goes to Gary and June. Hey, that Bugsy character's trying to stir up trouble. Just give me the nod and I'll start a fire in his head with a hot coal on each eyeball. Now just take it easy, Axe. No fights, huh? Okay. It would kind of burn him up, though, wouldn't it? He steps away and the policeman approaches. You'll have to call off this shindig, mister. On what charge? Disturbing the peace. 17 complaints. 
that we've got a concert permit. Seventeen sets of eardrums don't think it's a concert. Just bring my letter to the bottom of the river cause I won't be here no more. Cause I'm a man, I got nothing but sweet love on my mind. stop dancing. Nick steps in among them. You jerks. They've been feeding on cop stuff. All the time they've been taking orders from the law. Now cut out before they take you home in a wagon. Hey, 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 Remember me? Outside. No agitating in here, cat. Come on. Come on. He pulls Nick away. Tell the kids to go home. Hold it, kids. Hold it. I've got my orders. Lousy cops. Yeah. Let's have some more music. Oh, we paid to get in real squares. Oh, now listen, kids. Let's fold up our tents and silently fade away, huh? Now you're talking sense, Mr. Nelson. Bugsy stops Axe and slugs him, sending him reeling onto a chair. <laughs> this sparks more fights in the crowd and more police on the scene. Axe tries to hide from Nick behind a curtain and pokes his eyes. When Nick covers his face, Axe pulls the curtain over his head and kicks him into a corner. Spotting some balloons, Axe takes off a lapel pin and pops them. Stick him up! I got you covered! The curtain falls off Nick, who sees Axe just had fingers for a gun. Nick punches him, sending Axe onto his back, and Nick pounces. Gary tries to break up one of the fights, pulling a kid up. Bugsy whistles. Nick lets go of Axe and follows Bugsy out, and so do some of the kids. Outside, they gather. Now we know what's what. Arts and craps. He opens a knife. I'll show you what to do with a knife. Bugsy steps to spray Kay's car and punches a tire. The kids swarm the car, one opening the hood, another jumping on top, and others going inside it to rip it apart. The kid under the hood whacks the engine as others rip off the doors. The kid on top smashes a window. A policeman and Gary run out of the club as two girls rip the car upholstery. The policeman and Gary make it outside. Bugsy and Nick run. So do the other kids as other adults come out. My car! My car! Arrest that man! For contributing to the delinquency of minors. He's in charge. I'll report it to the chief. He'll take it from there. Arrest him, officer. If you don't, I'll have your job. You're welcome to it, ma'am. And I want a list of those kids who did this. Kids? Kids? Are you sure this wasn't a hurricane? You saw them, Nelson. Now, I want their names. I can't give them to you, Captain. Oh, so that's the way it is, eh? Anybody going to cooperate? The rest of the young crowd shuffles off. You know, I could book you now, Nelson, for obstructing justice. Do it, I insist. Put him where he belongs, in jail. I'll do it my way, lady. Georgiana, let's go home. My feet are killing me. All this activity and not even one corpse. Now, I hope you see him for what he is, June. A common criminal. You better tell him you'll be finished if you don't. And I'll be finished if I do. Georgiana goes to June. Come, dear. Um, officer, you'll have to drive us home. She escorts June away. That's a perfect way to end a lousy evening. I'm sure someone will want to talk to you tomorrow. You're hereby notified to keep yourself available. The policeman leaves. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I blew the whole bit. Kick. Axe bends over. Yeah. I was afraid it might end up something like this. Bugsy's been sitting around waiting for just this chance. And the worst is yet to come. If they ever put me under oath, I'm going to have to tell them who those kids were. And then the whole jazz goes up in smoke. Come on, one on the house, please. Gary straightens him up. <laughs> you know, those kids, they really did a bit on old Fentley's car, didn't they? Yeah, and on us too, Axe. A real good job.
Gary lights a cigarette. Let's go. Later, a newspaper's headlined, Teenage Rioters on Rampage. Local disc jockey faces possible arrest for complicity in rock and roll orgy. In Bill's office... Still pouring in? It's snowballed. It's always like that. First a few crackpots start the push and the fringe characters move in. Are all of these for wrapping me in cement and floating me down the river? No. Axe's pitch is bringing in results, some of them with money. That's what makes it so interesting. You become a public figure. A little controversial, but a public figure. Get yourself straightened away with the police and you'll be made. I've got no beef with the police. Not much. Just the names of half a dozen hoodlums. But if I give those names out, I'm washed up with the kids. Can't you see that? You and your kids. So we put you on something else. Main thing is, all this has built you up. And if I don't give the names to the police? Two weeks severance pay and a guarantee that you'll never work on any station in the country. Besides which, you'll be taken to court and tried for contempt or perjury or whatever they call it. In any event, I've only got a week left. I'd say that's about right. By then, you'll put up or be shut up. Thoughtful, Gary stands. How would you like me to build this to a climax that would shut every other station but yours? Naturally. My happiest dreams run along those lines. What's the gimmick? It's a natural. I'd like to bring this whole thing to a showdown publicly. A trial with every listener as judge and jury. Who's versus who? Bentwick oh. and his do-gooders versus Gary Nelson and his teen town. A regular trial with witnesses, evidence, prosecutors, the whole works. I think I see it. You each present your case. And the phone calls and mail determine the verdict. Right. Nelson, I love you. Bill hugs him. <laughs> Even if I have to fire you in two weeks. And what if Fenwick gives me a no thank you? He doesn't dare. After all the honking he's been doing, he'll love it. He'll be in here studying makeup inside of half an hour after I talk to him. You know, I think you're right. They shake hands. Later at the Black Eagle Club, some of the kids watch Joe Turner perform on TV. Lipstick. The dozen and a half kids watch somberly. for his lead sax player. Some of the kids turn and watch Axe walk in. Smiling faintly for a moment, he steps in front of him, bends down to the TV, and shuts it off. He holds three fingers behind his head. How? And straightens up. You cats figuring on digging the habeas corpus tonight? Nothing else to do. They have subpoenaed Bugsy as a witness. Me too. It's a lousy waste of time. It will be if they stick the shiv in Gary. 
And you know they will too if they ask him one question. They'll ask him to tell them who roughed up Fentwick's car. And he'll refuse because he's trying to play square with you guys. He'll refuse and that'll be that. Then you cats can scramble back into the sewers from whence you came. And what if he doesn't have to answer any questions? Then we got a chance. We got a fighting chance. So weigh it, kids, weigh it. Tempest is a fugitive. We've been weighing it all day like crazy. He bends down to Tommy. So where are you? With more to do. So if you want to check out and leave us alone, we'll buy it. Glancing around, Axe stands. Excuse me, Cat. He steps to the TV. Okay. And walks away. Tommy gets up. Now listen, kids. This is what we're going to do. We're going to change the whole thing around. We're going to make a new plan. Meanwhile, at Fentwick's house, Hiram powders Fentwick's face. He stands. How do I look? Oh, magnificent. Like Liberace's candelabra. You look positively embalmed, Fentwick. Like a man I looked after in Houston. His wife wouldn't believe he was gone. The fool. The fool to challenge me to public trial. Thousands of people, maybe millions, will see me. Who knows what it'll lead to? Perhaps to a cabinet post. Perhaps even to the presidency. All those in favor of the presidency say aye, carried. I nominate my wife for vice president. I don't know as I'd care to travel that much. I'd scarcely get to see you, Horace. The nomination is closed. You're elected as vice president, Georgiana, and I'm going to take you home and help you pack. To battle. We must prepare our case. Come in closer, ladies and gentlemen. Later at the TV studio, Gary walks through a courtroom set as technicians prepare equipment. He steps to June on the kitchen set. Ah, uh, you still look great in the setting. Say, have you learned to cook yet? I'm up to having eggs already. Uh. <laughs> they hug. We seem to be pretty far away from the actual breakfast dishes, don't we? Oh, as the cornballs say, love will triumph. But they're so sure they're going to win. Uh, maybe they will. But I'll get in a couple of good licks anyhow. Can you just picture yourself the wife of a poor but honest laborer? A poor old cotton picker, for instance? I love cotton picking cotton pickers. They kiss. Georgiana arrives with her cohorts. Young men. They part. The next time you do that, we'll be through the bars of a jail cell. The condemned man ate a hearty breakfast, followed by a kiss. Now, don't get excited, pigeon. What? You'll ruffle the feathers in your hat. Oh. The Fitzdingles walk off with Fentwick. What a nice young man. Will you be wanting organ music for the service? I'll take Fats Domino instead. I once performed in New Orleans. Beautiful service. Beautiful. Hiram walks off and Frank steps up. Three minutes. Judge McCombs here. Be right with you, Frank. What about the names of the kids? Are you going to tell them? I can't. Then you've lost the case before you've started. Maybe. Maybe not. We'll see. Let's go. At the bench. Two minutes, Judge. The judge strikes his gavel. My function is to rule on the legality of the questions and answers. A decision of enter will be rendered by the public. Now, any deliberate falsehood will be considered as being perjurious. Any withholding of facts as contempt of court. Frank steps before the gallery. Hold your places, everyone. We're on the air in one minute. 
June stands with three ladies ready to answer phone votes. Spray case sits at one table, and some of the kids drag Nick to the other. We've got him, Max. Crazy cats, you just got here for the top. You mean you guys are ratting on yourselves? Yeah, with heavy hearts and light tongues. What is left to live for? The whole world is going crazy. Democracy is dead. I cannot wait to get back in a stir. Okay, boys, take your seat. Thanks. All right, quiet, everyone. We're on the air. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Advanced Publicity has acquainted you with the purpose of this unusual procedure. We will therefore allow but brief statements to be made by both litigating parties. Mr. Fentwick, you first. Fentwick stands and approaches the judge. <coughs> Your Honor, our case is very simple. This rock and roll is a musical noise symptomatic of a decadent and irresponsible youth. Its savage rhythm leads to lust and crime. Lust and crime. Order. We demand, therefore, that this form of bestiality be outlawed by legislation and those practicing this cannibalistic exhibitionism be confined in jail the same as any other criminal. Georgiana applauds. Order! Go ahead, Mr. Nelson. Axe applauds as Gary stands. Thank you, Your Honor. We wish to prove that the youth of today is no more corrupt than it has ever been. That teenagers are responsible citizens when freed from the tyrannical supervision and the ignorant moralizing as imposed on them by self-styled reformers. Oh, crazy cat, I don't dig a word, but it's got class, man. <laughs> Order! All right, Mr. Nelson. I furthermore mean to prove that rock and roll music is an art form, a cultural expression evolved by and for the youth of today, and is no more significant or harmful than was the turkey trot 40 years ago. Horace applauds, but a look from his wife stops him. Statements have been duly made and recorded. Proceed, Mr. Fentwick. Your Honor, I call for Exhibit A. Three young couples stand. Music, please. They walk to an open area near a projection screen. Dance. They dance in the usual rock and roll style, swinging each other around. As Gary and Axe watch from one table with Bugsy. One couple parts and steps in unison. The lights go down and a projector starts. Showing a movie of painted aborigines dancing, hopping and shaking their legs. Fentwick glances at the judge as the couples keep dancing in the light of the movie, with one boy lifting a girl high. Lights, please. The lights go up and the display ends. There, Your Honor. You see the source of the disgusting culture form, as Mr. Nelson calls it. Now, Your Honor, I wish to call attention to the effect of real music. I call for Exhibit B. A young man in a suit and glasses stands and steps to a witness chair, then sits. What is your name? Aloysius Pennygratch. Your age? Uh, Seventeen, sir. What are your interests? Music, the dance, and, and drama. You play an instrument, I presume? Uh, yes, a piano, sir. Oh, yes. Do you play rock and roll music? Oh, no, sir. I consider it degrading, deteriorating, and degenerating. Yes. Man, I must learn that language someday. <laughs> I must have order. 
Now, what sort of music do you play? I find my inspiration from Beethoven, Chopin, Tchaikovsky. Those fellas play for the Cincinnati Reds, don't they? <laughs> I demand order! Georgiana pokes horse with a knitting needle. You find their works inspiring? Oh, their emotional subtleties. They're pulsating probings of the intellect through music. Oh, these are the things that make life worthwhile. Uh, with your honor's permission, I will call another witness. You may. Would you come in? A young blonde woman approaches. Now we will ask you to play something on the piano so that we may better demonstrate the nobility of your meaning. Aloysius leads the girl, dressed as a ballerina, to a piano beside the screen. She sets down her cardigan and positions herself to start. She dances ballet hopping gracefully into a forward bend, standing on point with her arms high, then out. Glancing back at the gallery, Axe draws a big square in the air with his hands. Ignoring this, Georgiana watches the performance with approval. The ballerina pirouettes. Axe taps Gary's hand and leans toward him, whispering something. Gary nods. The ballerina lowers herself to the floor and bows forward. Horace yawns at the spray cake table. Your business, Mr. Nelson. Gary goes to Aloysius, who's back in the witness chair. Mr. Pentagratch, do you agree that music is largely a matter of interpretation? In other words, musical sounds react differently on different people? Of course. Music can be a purely emotional experience or a mental one. Then you admit that Chopin didn't conceive of his music being played in any one particular way or interpreted in one specific manner. That is a safe assumption. Suppose, then, I asked you to uh, play that last 32 bars again. Only speed it up and accentuate the rhythm. Can you do that? I suppose so. I object! On what ground? What? On the ground that he hasn't objected for a long time. Quiet! <laughs> Objection overruled. Go ahead, Mr. Nelson. Would you play, please? Yes, sir. He returns to the piano. Kids. And Gary beckons Carlos and Rosie to join him. Axe stands and goes to the piano as well. Go. He sets the tempo. Go, 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 go. Oh. Axe covers his face then tries setting the tempo again by hitting the top of the piano. When Aloysius picks up, Axe points at Carlos and Rosie, who dance, and Axe claps along. Aloysius smiles. Many in the gallery clap and smile as well. At the spray cake table. That chopper never sounded that good to me before. That's because you are an illiterate, underdeveloped ignoramus. Maybe that's the reason we're such a good match, Pigeon. Carlos drops into the splits twice before bouncing back up and spinning Rosie under his arm. He throws her around his shoulder and sets her down. Axe shakes Eloysius' hand. It's all a matter of interpretation, Your Honor. The times we live in determine the tempo in which we live. Next witness. I call on one, Gary Nelson. A blackboard shows 210 votes for the teenagers and 350 for Spray K. 
man here. June goes to Gary. Tell them, Gary, you've got to. Gary shakes his head. Can't. And June returns to the phones. You're on an oath, you know. You're bound to tell the truth. Were you present at the teen town concert the other night? A concert conceived and executed by teenagers for the purpose of raising money to occupy permanent headquarters. Confine your answers to the questions asked. Did the sad concert end in a fight? In criminal acts? Provoked by people who had no business being there. By interfering busybodies who were suspicious of anyone's freedom but their own. I object, Your Honor. Objection sustained. Answer the question, Mr. Nelson. Did this concert result in a criminal act or acts? Yes. By members of your so-called organization? He barely nods. You saw these acts? Yes. You could identify the people involved? He pulls at his tie. You will name those involved? You're under oath, you know. A girl approaches with a letter. A signed confession by every kid that took part. Thanks, Helen. She steps away as Gary opens it. I submit this list in answer to the last question. I object, I object. The judge accepts the letter. Objection overruled. I accept this piece of paper as evidence. Any further questions? No, Your Honor. I've got a question. When do we go home? Georgiana elbows Horace. <laughs> I suppose in this highly irregular procedure, you're entitled to cross-examine the witness. Thank you, Your Honor. Gary stands and turns to the empty chair. Your name and occupation. He sits. Gary Nelson, disc jockey. He stands again, pacing. Mr. Nelson... You conduct a television program known as Rock, Roll, and Shake. He sits. I did. Then stands. You were present at the Teen Town concert in question. Tell us about the fight. He'll kill himself, I hope. He sits. Some, uh, excuse the expression, adults came in. The kids didn't like it. There was a character there by the name of Bugsy Smith. He's the one that started the whole thing going. Gary stands. Is that the man? And points. The man you are referring to? He sits. That is the man. Then stands. No further questions, Your Honor. I would now like to call on one Mr. Bugsy Smith. Grinning, Bugsy stands and steps around the table. The judge watches him go to the witness chair. I would prefer a six-by-eight jail cell any time. He sits. <laughs> Mr. Smith, why do they call you Bugsy? You know, you have got me there. I have never been able to figure that out. <laughs> You were present at the Teen Town concert. Yeah, yeah. Why? Just what was your interest there? I had to protect my kids. You were making bums out of them. You spoil them rotten. There. What did I tell you? Lady, by chance, you are not going to be one of the witnesses, are you? <laughs> Just how was I making bums out of them, Mr. Smith? Why, the kids used to run bets for me. You know, do our jobs, break up a window or something that somebody didn't pay up. And then you come along with your la-di-da, and the next thing you know, they're going to school regular, attending meetings, painting pictures. Why, some of them have been seen going to church. I don't know what is happening to the youth of today. Well, so that's how Mr. Nelson spoiled your neighborhood, hmm? It is a national disgrace. I am ashamed to live there no more. No further questions, Your Honor. Your witness, Mr. Fentwick. I have no questions. I don't wish to say anything to a paid witness. I object, Your Honor. 
sustained. Disregard that last remark and watch yourself, Mr. Fentwick, or I'll hold you in contempt. That's about the only way that you can hold him. In contempt. <laughs> Next witness. As Bugsy leaves the witness chair and Fentwick approaches, Sprake leads by just 25 votes. Your Honor, our boys and girls live in a jet-propelled age. They'd have to be cabbages not to be affected by them. I'd like to call on one of them to act as spokesman for his group. Axe. Axe stands and steps around the table to the witness chair. Crazy, man. Uh, your, your name, please? Well, I teed off Monica Albert, but folks now dig me axe because I chop a mean tin. I beg your pardon? What'd the cat do? Yeah. I knew they'd bring in a foreigner to give evidence. What language is that you speak? Igorodi? You don't dig, eh, Cube? I yacked that I chop a mean tin. I'm sorry, but we're going to need an interpreter. Is there anybody here who can understand that gibberish? I'll act as an interpreter, Your Honor. I uh, dig what he's... I, I mean, I understand what he says. Of all my 50 years on the bench, I have... Oh, all right. Go ahead. Uh, excuse me. He goes to Frank. Say, Frank, we'll need several sets of earphones, huh? Got them right here, Gary. Right. Gary takes a microphone as Frank distributes the headphones. We're ready, Judge. I'll translate as he goes along. I didn't think it was humanly possible. Your name again? They dig me axe. I chop a chop. They call me axe because of my ability to get the best in exchange of repartee. The judge listens. Your occupation. Hipster. I blow a tin and I beat a skin. I'm a musician. I play a horn or a drum. Subtitles appear. Yes, sir. Well, I cut from my pad one early, bright. I got out of bed one morning. I float into my set of threads. I get into my suit. Then I glance in the reflector on the wall. What do I gam? Hmm, nowhere. A great big nothing from Hungerville. I looked into the mirror and saw that I was getting nowhere. A big disappointment. So I figure I'll salt mine it off. I thought I'd work this feeling off. So I grab my tin, I chop off a few riffs. I played a few bars on my instrument. Yeah, zero minus nothing. It didn't work. The spray cane members listen. No bread, no ox pulling rocks. No money, no work. So I figure I'll flounder over and flick my chick. I went to see my girl. Well, she was mason in it with her chank and her choke. Confused, Gary steps closer to Axe. Would you uh, say that again, Axe? She's making it with her chack and her joke? She's making it with her chack and her joke! Gary steps back. Huh? I uh, found her at home with her mother and younger sister. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed. They're red eye in the silver screen. They were watching the television. And all of a sudden, I damn this gasser. And Judge, I dig him the most. He's making jazz for some diaper dots and dashes. I saw Nelson trying to do something for some kids. Well, I figure I like this guy, so I go over and wag a tongue at him. I went to talk to him. 
Well, we shoveled each other. And you know what, Judge? He took me off the ragged edge and he put me on the every Saturday. He gave me a job. So any creep that peeps this cat is zero is nuts. He's the most. Uh, he, uh, he, he's doing a good job. Any questions, Mr. Lipstick? No, no. Send him back. The defense rests. I am... Max leaves the witness chair. I am still convinced that I can prove the demoralizing effects of rock and roll. Picture, please. Another film starts on the screen. This is a typical evening of this kind of music. Young couples dance energetically, swinging, spinning, and jiving. Now take a look at the utter depravity. You can thank rock and roll for this, the complete deterioration of our young people of today. The film ends. Do you care to sum up, Mr. Nelson? I would like to offer a couple of pieces of Americana for my closing testimony. All right. Picture, please. Another film begins of couples dancing the Charleston. In the 20s, American culture produced this gay little thing. Separately, they kick and wave their arms energetically. They step quickly, much like the modern kids. In the next dance, the woman pats her behind. This delicate little thing was known as the black bottom. There will be no profanity in this court. You all survived those savage expressions of youth. And yet our teenagers can't survive rock and roll. We never participated in these decadent antics. One shot startles the Fitzdingles. While Georgiana turns away knitting, Horace sneaks away from Sprague's table and whispers to June, pointing toward Georgiana. As the film ends, June hurries to Gary and whispers to him. Uh, would you run that last piece of film again, please? It replays footage of a dancing young woman in a flowered cloche hat. It is Aunt Georgiana. Come on. They go to Sprague's table. Aunt Georgiana, that is you. Nonsense. Take that picture off immediately. She stands. That was not me. Oh, yes, it was, Pigeon, because you've still got the trophy at home on the mantelpiece. Oh, just because I was young and foolish. You worked your own way out of it, didn't you? That's all my kids want. She says. But I liked you better then than I do now, honey. Gary goes to the judge. Your Honor, that's all we want. A chance for these kids to work their own way out of their teens. He holds up the teen town sketch. If you believe in them, in yourself, you can help make this teen town dream come true. Now, anybody with a couple of bucks... There being no further testimony, I instruct the jury to bring in the verdict. Fentwick sits with his head in his hand. Look at Fentwick. Rigor mortis is setting in. What did you say? Rigor mortis? Hiram hurries to him. Ah! But is scared back. Uh, may I suggest, while we're waiting for a result, Your Honor, that, that we listen to the arch-criminal rock and roll as portrayed by a real musician. Mr. Fats Domino, our television studio would be glad to pipe it in on the screen. Very well. They all turn to the screen, which shows Fats and his band arriving. Hiya, kids. This is Fats Domino. I want all of you to know that I'm in love again. He sits at the piano and plays. Yes, it's me and I'm in love again. Had no love in ten years no when. You know I love you. Yes, I do. And I'm saving all my love in jail for you. 
As kids get up to dance, Gary goes to June in front of the teenager's winning vote tally. Well, we made it. You know, I think you'd better start shopping for those kitchen appliances. They kiss passionately as Fats keeps playing on the screen. Any minute, money more. Told me and warned me around no more. Who we been? Who we? Even don't you let your door bind me? Aloysius and the ballerina dance together with the other kids. On the kitchen set, Horace dances. Come along, come along, come along, come on, we're going home. For the first time, I'm living, scram. Are you sassing me, Horace? When I'm ready to go home, I'll let you know, woman. Georgiana, Fentwick has a new group dreamed up already. Beat it, squares. Fentwick kicks his cane, which Horace rams into his gut. Horace, you were masterful, masterful. What's all the fuss about? He points to the dancing kids. Come on, woman. Oh, no, no, please, Horace. Don't go away from me, chick, or I'll chop a couple of ribs on your pate. He lifts his cane. Oh, darling. He drops it when she hugs him. Come on, woman. He pulls her to the dancing. And as Gary and June dance more demurely, Horace tries swinging Georgiana around. Georgiana smiles as she lets Horace turn her. They hold hands, still dancing. Frank steps up to the judge. We're off the air, Judge. Thank heavens, I'm about ready to pass out. As he rests his head, Hiram runs up. Is he done, boy? He feels for a pulse, startling the judge. What do you want? My card. The judge reads it. They're bombing. He chases him off with his gavel. Gary and June go to the Fitzdingles and offer to change partners. Horace and June dance in the modern style, shaking their hips. While Gary leads Georgiana in an older classic style. The most, to say the least, described from Movies for the Blind. And that was Shake, Rattle, and Rock. Margaret Dumont's last acting job took place eight days before her death in 1965 at the age of 82. And appropriately, it was with her old nemesis, Groucho Marx, on a variety show, recreating a scene from Animal Crackers, stoic to the end. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're creeping toward our 200th episode, which is kind of a big thing. The lead up to it, I wanted to bring back the guy I started this with, the star of episode one, Edward Everett Horton. I'm in receipt of your proposition, offering me $1,000 to assist you in the defense of your client accused of, uh, of uh, dear me, what was that accusation? Uh, murder. Don't tell me. Well, during the day, Mr. Smith is a lawyer, a businessman. But at 8 o'clock, the little bird starts singing in his soul, and he begins to bloom. Bloom? Any pretty woman can twist him around her finger. Da, dee, da, 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 dee, da, da, da. I found the very lawyer to get your divorce for you. And uh, from all I hear, it won't cost you any more than a smile or two. Oh, mother. 
I see you have on your rubber heels again. And you promised Madeline, as long as she was away, that you'd conduct your business here and never go out at night. A lawyer's <laughs> life, Mother. You're the first one to regret it if you broke your promise to her. And a doctor's life. And you did but... it because you know how weak you are. I only thought, on account of your uh, feeling for lonely wives... Yes? You might get me a divorce from my husband. I am a vaudeville impersonator, sir. I'm opening my new act at the palace next week, and I picked you as the man of the moment. May I impersonate you? Well, you stay here tonight in my place, and if you can fool my mother-in-law and the servants until I get back, I'll give you that permission. It's a bet. You're on, and I'm off. <coughs> That's Lonely Wives, next time on Movies for the Blind. To find out more about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast, Creative Commons License. Some MP3s are hosted by Blind File Sharing, so to find out more, visit blindfilesharing.com. And the movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back next week. Take care. 